Pitch Deck Asia. Your story, your words. We go. This is Pitch Deck Asia. My name is Graham Brown in the Singapore studio broadcasting across Asia, connecting today to Sydney, Australia. David Price, welcome to the show. Hi, Graham. Thank you very much for having me. It's nice to be with you. Yeah. Across the sea. So let's yeah. talk about what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about We Gather. We're going to talk about media, yeah. your background as well. You're from Australia originally? I'm originally from South Africa, okay. so you can hear it's quite a mixed accent. I've been in Australia for about 16 years now. Right. Okay. Where are you from in South Africa originally? I'm from Johannesburg. Fantastic. Do you know South Africa at all? I have been to Joburg, yeah. So, okay. yeah, it's a, it's a great place. Everybody tells me, though, if I go to South Africa, go to Cape Town. So. Oh, yeah. Cape Town's a beautiful city and Johannesburg isn't. So. Right, right. It's uh, a bit of a rivalry yeah. like Melbourne, Sydney going on there, right? Well, for beauty, it's not really. Like <laughs> uh, Johannesburg's just not a pretty city. It's a, uh, and, and Cape Town's one of the most beautiful in the world. But, you know, there's, um, I guess Johannesburg's got a lot of like Africa in its blood. You know, yeah. it's got a, it's really pumping there so, you know, in a certain way. All right, fantastic. Well, we don't want to invite any flames on the show. So let's talk about the the topic of the uh, conversation, which is going to be about we gather and media as well. So um, let's start at the top. What was your background? Are you, you know, how would you describe yourself? Have you always been an entrepreneur? What sort of businesses have you been involved in? What world do you come from? Um, I've always been an entrepreneur, but I... Um, also went down a somewhat of a more conventional path. So my career has been along two tracks. So I, um, I didn't drop out of university like most tech entrepreneurs do. I, so I have an undergraduate in pure maths and economics, um, which I got in South Africa. And then I started my first startup in South Africa. The idea was like, um, Groupon for mobile phones. This was before smartphones. So we used, um, the technology that was available at that time, which is like a two-way SMS called USSD. Um, that company was acquired um, by a listed company in South Africa. I then came to Australia. Um, I studied my Master of Technology Management. I also launched a not-for-profit um, that I ran for five years that um, helped um, under-25-year-olds launch social initiatives that they were passionate about. So um, like helping HIV um, positive women in Africa get employment and sell handbags in Australia, helping people with depression and those kind of issues. Um, then I went into um, management consulting and private equity. So that was the more conventional part of my career. So worked in a $100 million um, private equity fund focused on small to medium companies. Um, I then launched my second um, startup that uh, was focused on um, business ethics. Um, that was a, a soft, uh, software focusing on business ethics, and that that company was also acquired. Um, and yeah, that that's sort of most of my history before we gather, and then then I got into we gather. Right. Okay. So you've had a mixed background, but mostly your own startups. A little bit of training on the PE side of the world as well, which helps you, I suppose, in understanding what the potential yeah. acquirers are looking for out there. Let's start at the yeah. the top with your presentation, the pitch deck itself. I'm not going to jump around like in, in in chronological order, the sequential order of the pitch deck. I want to start maybe a little bit later on with the market size, so we understand what market we're playing in with the uh, 
the uh, pitch deck itself. So um, I'm going to jump yeah. forward. So slide 11 here, or page 11. Um, and bear in mind that some people are not able to see this. So um, sure. they may need to be described to a little bit because they're just listening in. So we're talking yeah. about the market that you're in. And you're, you've got some familiar names up on your page there with New York Times, WSJ, and so on. Help us understand what market are we talking about today for We Gather? Yes, it's actually a bit of a difficult um, market to describe. Um, so you picked the most, probably the most difficult question to start with. Um, so what we are actually trying to disrupt um, is is the way that information and knowledge is monetized online. So um, information and, and, and knowledge um, is largely free online. Um, uh, you know, that, that, that has been sort of one of the big revolutions of the internet, making information free. And um, more and more problems have um, arisen due to that model of having free with advertising. So Facebook is free with advertising for the end user. Twitter is free with advertising. Google's free with advertising. And all these models um, are generating a lot of problems. And there's been the emergence of um, newer models. So... Um, the monetization currently of information is the with advertising. So that is the that is the larger market that we're disrupting. Um, so that's about a $92 billion industry, the online um, advertising um, that's coming off inf monetizing information and expertise. Mm. And we're part of the wave of new disruption that's changing the free with advertising model into something more of a subscription model whereby the person creating the knowledge will be the one that actually is making the money um, rather than the platform. So uh, when you advertise on Facebook, Facebook's getting the money, not the content creator, not the expert, um, likewise on Twitter. So examples of where does the expert or information creator make money? Um, so in our pitch deck, we've given some good examples where um, a lot of revenue has been generated for the content creator, mm. such as the New York Times and Wall Street Journal are both doing over a billion in annual revenue from their subscriptions. So those are obviously very big, reputable brands. Um, and now there's the emergence of um, other models where more independent creators are able to, in a peer-to-peer -peer mechanism, um, generate their own revenue from end users, their fans and followers that really like their content. Right. So rather having a an aggregator, a gatekeeper like the Wall Street Journal, um, the the future, um, as we've already seen, is a move towards things like Twitter and Facebook. But the next move, which are peer to peer, but the next move is now saying those end users that are generating all the eyeballs for Facebook, Twitter, um, Reddit, etc. Uh, YouTube as well, um, they should be able to capitalize themselves directly from their fans and followers in the same way that the New York Times does. Um, um, okay, so in a, in a, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we've seen the beginnings of this model, for example, with YouTube, right? Is that not that model where if I'm creating content, I can get financially rewarded for it? Obviously, only a small percentage actually get financial reward because the, the numbers the economics are so low yeah. on individual views, but that's the difference between YouTube and Twitter and Facebook, for example, where yeah. actually you can take part in the upside. If you're going to make money for the platform, you can also make money for yourself. 
Is that sort of similar in the model or you're just extending that a little bit further? Somewhat. So the, the problem the problem with um, the YouTube model is that YouTube is taking most of the, that transaction. They're giving a very small percentage to the creator um, that's actually generating the eyeballs. So um, we're trying to create a model whereby the platform is taking the very small margin and, and the actual creator is going to really take the bulk because they're creating the value. So, and we believe that's the wave of the future. So the economics all going to the platform um, has made these multi-billion dollar companies like Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, which is great for them, but it's left a market where the actual content creators are not getting sufficient economic benefits for their expertise um, in content they've created. So, um, and they're the most valuable piece uh, in the puzzle, effectively. Well, they should be from our perspective. Okay. So, well, let's actually have a look at the solution itself and where we gather content. <coughs> so, I'm just going to bounce yeah. back. If we can go to, so the the problem and the solution slides. So, two, three, and four. And we can have a look at them. So, you, you basically outlined the um, problem itself, which a lot of people are looking for information. Um, but the problem is that there's a bit of credibility about trusted news sources in here as well and getting information for example from twitter um, whether or not that's reliable now we have the solution itself so let's talk about what we gather is how would you describe yourself are you a platform are you, what are you yeah so we are a platform um we're a combination of a media platform um and a fintech so um we do two things. So number one, um, there are already enough me social media platforms out there. No one's looking for a new social media platform to start with. Um, so what's different about us is that we're not just a different medium uh, whereby you can find your average content creator or expert. Um, we only allow credible experts to post on our platform. So we're, we're a filter for people that post on other platforms effectively. So whereas on Twitter, um, you can find almost anyone posting and everyone gets an equal voice. On WeGather, we have um, various communities. So it could be health and fitness, politics, tech. You have to actually um, apply to us and show that you have um, a knowledge or training in that area. Um, and then only if you're approved can you actually post content. So the end result is um, if you go and try and find the top health and fitness experts on um, Twitter or on YouTube, it's very hard to find them all aggregated in one place um, because um, experts don't go to the top. What goes to the top on other platforms because they're all driven by popularity algorithms are the most popular things. And there's a very big difference between quality and popularity. So if you look on Instagram under health and fitness um, hashtag, you'll find just um, models, basically. You're not going to find um, actual health and fitness experts because that's just much more popular. So uh, on WeGather is the place where you find the top experts um, in a community um, relevant to your particular interests, um, aggregated all in one place. And we filtered out all the unknowledgeable people because we only have verified experts. So we've removed the clutter. Um, so we are bringing back the credibility that um, exists in something like the New York Times. So that's obviously people dispute if the New York Times is credible, um, but they're more, it's more credible than social media um, because they at least do have fact checkers 
and they do um, you know have some uh, verification of what is printed um, so I don't, nothing can be perfect but you can be a lot better than social media which is right at the bottom of, of the trust um, surveys um, and the second half of what we do is we said okay um, in order to bring these um, experts to our platform um, and to bring give users a reason to come to our platform um, as well, a, a secondary reason other than just finding the experts, we allow you to actually engage with the experts in a group or one-on-one -on -one, so you can actually communicate with them directly. Now, in theory, you can do this in Twitter, on Twitter or YouTube, but in practice not because if you tweeted someone with a million uh, followers, they just, they're not even going to notice your tweet. Um, and they're not going to read through all their YouTube comments or they're not going to respond. So what we do is we say, if you're one of your, the best fans and followers of, um, someone, some expert, and you actually want to engage with them, um, and they, uh, as an expert want to earn, we make a market out of that. You'll pay the expert to get access to them in a group or one-on-one -on -one, and the expert, um, then is able to earn significantly. So especially at scale. So if you think about the practical example we like to use to explain the economics, if you are a influencer with 20,000 users um, and you want to monetize that on other platforms, you have to, YouTube revenue is shares the lowest. If you do sponsored posts, you get about $150 a post. You can only do about two sponsored posts per week because otherwise you start to look like a sellout and you dilute your own brand. Um, so you can only earn about 1,200 a month. If you just are able to get 3% of your fans and followers to, um, support you, pay a monthly fee, um, and engage with you, which is what happens when we gather, um, at least 3% in general, um, you'll have about 600 people paying you somewhere between five and $10. So let's say 750, um, 750 times 600 people is 4,200. 20,000 followers is not even a very big influencer, but that's starting to look like a real income over $4,000. So if you're a, if you're someone that has a substantial following, you can now, by going directly to your fans and followers, engaging them in a group environment or one-on-one, -on -one, um, and the way we're structured is like a chat. So like WhatsApp, like Facebook Messenger, but the chats are time limited. So it's just a limited amount of time um, that the expert has to be available to you. Um, they make themselves available, they, they earn, you get, um, you know, exclusive access to them and you, you, you get to engage in a way that you really couldn't elsewhere. They will respond to you, answer your questions, um, have a real conversation, um, and, and they get economic benefits out of it. So it's really a win-win for both sides of the market. Can you give me a, an example case of this? So how would I use this? Give me specifics. What yeah. kind of topics am I talking about? <laughs> um, so it's very, very broad. Um, I can... Um, no, get, so get, let's for, let's yeah. talk about specifics, not broad. Let's talk about a specific example because I think listeners yeah. want to hear that rather than talking about the concepts. They want to hear, how would I use this? Yeah. Give me an example of what kind of content am I going into and how would I engage on it? Yeah, so, so, so what I was trying to say was, um, I'll give you a few examples because we cover a broad um, spectrum of different um, subject areas that people could be interested in. So, for example, we have um, an Olympic track and field athlete um, and people want to speak to him about training and nutrition tips. So, people will pay to get access to 
um, that elite knowledge that he has. We also have sports stars. We have NBA stars. Um, people want to speak to them um, similarly about um, training sometimes or sometimes just some inf inside information about what's going on in the NBA. We have um, political journalists. So some people sometimes people want to engage with the political journalists or even just to sometimes support their work. Say you're doing very good investigative journalism. Um, I really want to support you in continuing to do that. Uh, we have um, tech experts that people might want to speak to, money experts that can help you with your finances. So very broadly, across any almost any subject you can think of, um, there are various experts. And um, if you think about each person yourself as an individual user, everyone has some interest where there is some expert that they're willing to that pay to speak to. Everyone has either social or business interests where there's someone in the world that you pay to speak to. Now, we obviously don't have all the experts in the world, but if you just envision what is possible when we scale to the size of a Twitter um, or the like, then you will actually be able to speak to almost anyone. Um, their price point might be too high for you, but effectively our end goal vision is to have all the top experts in the world. Um, and we do have people that you, you think wouldn't be interested in doing this, like constitutional court judges. We have constitutional court judges on the platform. Um, we have people like Soldier Boy, who's a top rapper who probably doesn't need the money, but he's still on our platform. So, um, can we talk about why they are, let me take the constitutional court judge as an example. Yeah. What, how are people interacting with them? Who's interacting with them and how are they making their money out of that? So, um, the constitutional court judge, um, that we have on the platform writes a lot of legal papers, um, that he wants to get out, uh, into the world that are generally, uh, when they're in a paper format, just being read by probably like four people. So um, there's a lot of constitutional issues um, that um, generally only constitutional issues get into the media if they're United States constitutional issues. So we have constitutional court judges from other countries that want their constitutional issues to um, be exposed to more people. And they actually want feedback and discussion around that. Um, and they're not, he's not necessarily the, the one uh, example that I think of not so interested in earning necessarily, yeah. but um, he is making himself available um, and making still making some economics out of it, but that's not his primary driver. His primary driver is really getting those constitutional discussions out there. Um, then if we move over to Soldier Boy, who doesn't, you know, really have a need, um, firstly, if you consider these top experts at the top of the tail, so let's talk about the top of the top even someone like a Kylie Jenner with 120 million Instagram followers, if she got 3% of her audience to give her $7.50, um, you, you know, a month, that, uh, that's really a lot of money. So that's, um, you know, 3.6 million times 7.5 per month. So um, that's like 30 million a month. So even for someone like a Kylie Jenner, the economics would be there. So for a soldier boy, Maybe he doesn't need the money, but he can make significant um, economics out of using a platform that's just not available to him on an Instagram or a Twitter. He can convert one to three percent, potentially more, of his 20 million social media followers 
into people that will pay him for more exclusive access, early access. Let's say someone has a mixtape, they're an up-and-coming rapper, and they really want Soldier Boy to listen to that, and they can't access him elsewhere. They can pay him um, for a one-on-one chat and say, okay, I've paid for access to you. Please just listen to my mixtape. So you can make hundreds of dollars just um, to listen to that one individual mixtape and a collection of people can is, access is him payment, in that way. Payment by transaction or, I mean, how do I pay, yeah. let's say with Soldier Boy, for example, <coughs> do I pay yeah. like a subscription to be in his fan group or do I pay per transaction? Yeah. How does it work? Um, so we have four features whereby creators and experts can earn. So the first one is um, the creators and experts can make free content and they can earn from one or four recurring tips. The second way is to have a time-limited group discussion. So the host can uh, say as many people as want to, as as the, as uh, you would like, can come into a discussion with me. And this is the price point and this is the length of the discussion. So it could be three days, one day, seven days. And it's generally between five and ten dollars, sometimes up to twenty-five ahead to get into those group discussions. But could be a high price point. It really depends on the creator. Then we have subscription communities. So you had the content creator can put whatever content or discussions or polls into a subscription community, and they get ongoing, recurring monthly revenue from their fans and followers. Um, and lastly, is the paid uh, one-to-one chat. So Soldier Boy can set any price point and any length on a private chat. Could be again one day or seven days. It says five hundred dollars to pay to speak to me, and you can have this uh, one-on-one WhatsApp-style chat. You know where you can send me your mixtape, um, etc. So let's say I was a a a general partner in a VC firm. Could I use this? Could I use it? Because I get a lot of people that want to contact me, want to pitch me, want advice. You yeah. know, how do how do I how do I get in front of you? You know, what do you look for when you look at a pitch deck, for example? Could they use this kind of format? Because right now they rely almost <laughs> entirely on referral, yeah. or they may go to yeah. one of these horrible sort of pitch competition stroke speed dating type events at conferences, yeah. which are never sort of optimal. Could I use something like this? Yeah, definitely. So um, you you do see quite a lot of um, VCs, for example, and I mentioned they have a, at this point a lot more scale than us on Quora. So okay. if you go to Quora, um, you'll see VCs will take the time um, to answer people's uh, questions um, there uh, and to somewhat um, filter. Um, so w- what our platform allows is um, – the VC to a um, put a barrier um, and filter for people that are really serious. So if you're a VC, you're getting so many people just sending random applications to you. If you say, I'm having a three day discussion on X, um, you can come into this environment. Um, maybe when we have this guest speaker, you, they've suddenly created um, an environment where they filtering for the startups that are, you know, serious enough to pay, serious enough to be in a group discussion. And they can actually see um, how the startups and their founders engage in that group discussion to see if they're actually strong founders with the right kind of um, attributes. 
likewise one-on-one they could uh, potentially use that as as a filter if there's a significant price point you really want to pay to to speak to me um you, you're showing you you're really serious um and willing to have the discussion and the fantastic thing about uh we gather um for important serious people um is that it's asynchronous like whatsapp or messenger so they don't have to set aside their time you know 15 minutes 30 minutes at a time for a phone call for a webinar um, they can answer a question that takes 10 seconds here um, come back later and read for one minute you know a few hours later and respond so it's just completely within your schedule as a very busy important person that you're able to respond to the group um, and to single individuals so that that really from our perspective, changes the game and makes it something that um, experts are willing to do. And, and what also that that also means is you can do a multiple discussions simultaneously. So you can run twenty one-on-one discussions simultaneously, you know, and earn five hundred dollars each, um, which you couldn't do if it was a webinar or a phone call. How, how are you sort of approaching this differently? Because you know, a lot of people have tried in various forms to address the problem of how do you monetize and therefore incentivize people to offer quality content and you've mentioned some of these in your pitch deck already so we've talked about quora for example patreon is another example where you can pay for behind the scenes access or exclusive content is popular with podcasters as well as uh, djs and musicians reddit have run amas for the longest time where you'll find people who are very much subject matter experts for free addressing an audience simply because they feel they want to share the content and help people. And then you've had these sort of, I suppose, unbundling platforms that have managed to demystify or to atomize the knowledge of a lawyer or an accountant or a management consultant on platforms like Upwork or Fiverr or even Ask an Expert where you can get access to simple very sort of commando style question question and answers with experts so a lot of people have tried and you know many of them have been successful some have fallen by the wayside for for you guys and we gather what what is the hypothesis that you're <laughs> approaching the the problem with that other people don't get what are people disagreeing with you about when you're saying this is how we solve that problem um, so I, th- I think what you, you know what you've alluded to there is you know some have been successful and some haven't. So the problem um, people like Cora have done quite well. Um, so you, you can think of it as a first step in the right direction, and and we also look at Patreon uh, as well as a step in the right direction. But but we feel they haven't put uh, all the right things together all in one platform. So what we've tried to say is, firstly, um, the major problem is not um, creating quality content. There's amazing, interesting people on the internet. It's just there's too much information. You can't find it. So it's a discovery problem. Um, how do we actually limit to quality content? So we're the only people that are verifying um, experts in, in across every topic. So as you've said, there are platforms that would say we only do legal experts. For example, we only do 
tech experts. There's no generalized platform that only allows verified experts across every subject area. So the problem with Reddit, um, for example, is um, exactly the discovery problem again. There's exceptional quant content there, but if you look at the first page, none of the exceptional content gets to the first page because uh, the major discovery problem on the internet is that everyone's running with a popularity algorithm, and Google and Facebook included. It is customized to your interests, but still the top things are always the most popular. Um, so their algorithms are sophisticated, but always driven by popularity. Now, th uh, that is um, problematic because um, quality is just um, necessarily not as popular in most instances. So what we've done is, is we've said, instead of a straight popularity algorithm, um, we, um, we have heavily weighted how other experts engage with the content rather than the general population. So if we go back to the health and fitness example, if our approved health and fitness experts, um, let's say 20 of them are engaging with um, a certain expert on our platform's content, that's, that's a very strong indicator it's actually good content compared to just um, it being popular with the general population where you go back to the example I gave where you can't even feature as a real health and fitness expert on Instagram because the models just get too many clicks. They will just drop you. So um, on our platform, uh, the health and fitness experts are engaging with your content that has a much heavier weighting than just general views and a general view count, and that goes to the top. So we A, only allow experts in, B, have this algorithm that's weighted towards our other experts in your area that are knowledgeable in your area engaging with your content, and we're pushing that in to the top. So the primary thing we are solving is the discovery problem, making sure that um, – um, you know, the, the, the clutter is gone and it's easy to find all the experts on one subject area aggregated in one place. And then, um, the second thing that, um, we are doing that others are not doing, for example, that patron is not doing, um, is we're really allowing the engagement. So, um, and that's only possible because we've created this economic model whereby the, expert um, is actually going to earn for it. Otherwise, he wouldn't be willing to do it. But um, so you have Reddit where generally it's just the general user base interacting and there's a lot of good interaction on Reddit. Um, but only every now and then is the expert participating because there's no economics in it for them. Uh, and Core is the same. Core actually only pays people that ask questions, not people that answer questions. It's not, it's created no economic model. Um, yet for the experts. So we've said um, we'll create an economic model for the experts to really give the end user what they want, um, which is not just the quality because that's uh, not just the content because that's static, but the engagement, the ability to actually talk to you, ask, have a back and forth discussion, questions and answers, or even even if not necessarily you might be too shy to talk to the expert, you can watch other people ask questions of the expert um, and expert answer it. So in that group environment, it's still a dynamic. You're still actually seeing a conversation happen, um, you know, which in theory could have happened in on Twitter if Twitter wasn't so toxic, which they haven't been able to control with, you know, every tweet stream just being uh, um, full of trolls and flaming, uh, which we've, we've been able to avoid that um, because we 
give our experts um, uh, moderation capabilities. So if someone is not behaving in a discussion, they have the right to kick someone out of the discussion or just delete the comment themselves that it doesn't have to. We also have our own moderation team and you can flag things and they get deleted. But people behave much better on a platform because it's somewhat similar to Reddit, whereby you give the host and the leaders controls of their own community. So you have, um, you know, a decentralization uh, phenomenon where each community is sort of managed um, on its own, as well as our central moderation sitting um, on top of that. And so, you know, uh, Twitter is an example of where centralized moderation is being insufficient um, to manage such scale. And so they probably are going to have to decentralize. And you're starting to see something about Jack Dorsey talking in that direction where they're going to move towards maybe communities and interests because it's just gotten too toxic and out of control. How do you decide who's an expert? Let's say I am a self-declared expert in podcasting. I know more about microphones than anybody else in Asia. I've decided that. How do you then decide that I'm an expert? You said that you only allow experts in. So therefore, there must yeah. be some moderation of the experts themselves, which, you know, if you're growing a platform, that's a bottleneck in its own right. What was the, the plan for that? How does that work? Um, so, I mean, we're, we're growing very quickly, but we're, we're nothing like a Twitter so, or a Facebook. So we don't yet have the scale problem. So I'll come back to what we're going to do at scale. What we, we currently, our team can manage all the applications. So we have a general benchmark of five years um, of experience or training in the field. So if you can prove you've been podcasting for five years, which will verify, then you're adequately knowledgeable to get in. Um, and then our algorithm will measure how much engagement you're getting in, in, the, in the podcasting community on a platform. Um, and if no one likes your content um, and you go to the bottom of the leaderboard, you know, then uh, that sort of proves that you, you're not an expert anymore. So we'll cull you from the community. But if you manage to maintain some engagement with time, um, then you'll stay in the community and, you know, even potentially go to the top of the leaderboard, you know, close to the top if you're very good. So uh, there's competition to get to the top of the leaderboard in each community because then you get to be seen the most um, and, you know, hopefully then earn the most. Um, and so it's sort of a survival of the fittest. Um, what will happen at scale, um, and we're doing a little bit of it now, is we ask the leaders of the various communities, the, the, the top of the leaders of the various communities, to help us evaluate people because they understand certain fields. So they're obviously, because we have a broad collection of subject areas, we, we, we're not experts ourselves in certain areas at all. Um, and so we do um, ask those experts to assist us in evaluating people. Um, and at scale, if the leaders of a community allow you in, um, that should, uh, uh, that self-policing should work because, um, people want their communities to be good. So they're not going to let the wrong people in. Um, and even if they did let the wrong people in to some degree, they'll go to the bottom of the leaderboard and be called out anyway. So it would be a pr temporary problem. Okay, um, great. Let's talk about where, where you are in your journey as well and fundraising. Are you, are you raising at the moment? Yeah, we're actually in the middle of a raise now. Okay. Um, so where we are is um, we, we raised two previous seed rounds and this is our third seed round. Um, 
So where we are is um, we just turned on monetization in February. So we've just monetized for two months. And that's a little bit early to raise a Series A. So we've been in discussions with the bigger venture capital firms like, like Greylock and Sequoia. And they generally want to see a six-month revenue run rate. So what we decided to do is, you know, we're a little bit early for Series A, but we'll be able to raise a Series A, a we expect at the very end of this year or early next year. So we're raising an intermediary seed round now so that we can show more user-based growth and that six-month revenue run rate. Um, so we're raising 1.15 million USD now, um, and we've raised um, over 40% of that. Um, we're doing a rolling round, so we're not, you know, we don't need to raise the full 1.15 to close. We're targeting 1.15 and, you know, raising as much as we can on a first come first serve basis. And who are you looking for as potential investors? Obviously, at this level, you yeah. would consider both angels and early stage <laughs> VCs. I guess you want somebody yeah. who's going to bring a little bit extra as well. Simply, you know, there's a lot of cash out there at the moment. Um, you'll yeah. be doing your due diligence on the investors as well. What else do you want them to bring to the table? Um, so our preference is towards um, the angel side uh, rather than the institutional, although we are speaking to some institutional and we're in due diligence with a few of the smaller VCs um, and also some um, venture arms of media companies. So we could align very well with media companies or angels that have media interests. Um, our preference is angels and family offices just because they seem to make decisions a lot quicker. So VCs, whether they are smaller or bigger, generally have a very long decision cycle. Um, and so there are exceptions and the ones that work quicker, you know, we're happy to take on. Um, but in general, we're leaving the institutions for our Series A, so we can come into Series A sort of with a, a bit of a cleaner cap table to bring in um, the big VCs without any conflicts, because sometimes there are conflicts between different VCs. So, yeah, we're looking for angels. Um, we do a combination of small tickets um, and big tickets. So we'll go right down to 25,000 USD. Um, and then we're talking to bigger angels um, at the moment that will do between um, you know, 250 and 500. Um, the preference is obviously for the bigger ones um, and the ones that come with value adds. So um, we have angels that have, a, as I said, a lot of media interest. Also, if you have, uh, if an angel has connections to a lot of um, experts in a particular industry. So one of the angels we're talking to now is very connected in the sporting world and is likely to bring a huge amount of sporting stars um, onto our platform. Um, and so th those kind of value adds, um, you know, looked on very preferably um, by us. And, um, you know, family offices we're looking to as well. Um, I guess some family offices only start at a million USD ticket size. That, so I guess we're sort of more towards the smaller to mid size of the family offices, not the um, big, huge ones. Um, where we are looking, and the reason we're looking in Asia, particularly in why I'm talking to you, is we're in a bit of an awkward position geographically because Australia is a very, very conservative investment market. There's almost no seed market um, for early stage pre-revenue companies, especially in media in Australia. There hasn't 
not I don't even know of a successful media startup in South Africa um, in the tech space. Um, so there's no funding for that in Australia. So you can find the odd agile, but the institutions won't even take a look until you've got that six-month revenue run rate. Um, in the United States, investors, um, which you know is the biggest capital market in the world, like to invest in America almost exclusively. Um, you know, prior to Series A, um, and even at Series A, you know, you have to really look fantastic for them to take a real look. So the markets that um, are, are really good for us for capital are Asia. Um, you know, it's all of Southeast Asia is a very hot market for media and tech at the moment, um, and so we've got quite a lot of interest and you know closed some investors for this round already um, from that region, and so very open to taking international investment. Um, we also taken quite a lot of money um, from South Africa, which is my home country and home network, uh, you know, in, from the past. Fantastic. That's David Price, everybody from WeGather. David, what's the best way for people to reach out with you? Are you happy with people contacting you from LinkedIn? What works? Um, LinkedIn, I'm, I'm happy to give out my email address. Uh, hopefully, I don't regret this. I get overly bombarded. But um, my, my work email is david at wegatherapp. So, W-E-G-A-T-H-E-R-A-P-P.com. David at wegatherapp.com. Um, yeah, and especially looking to speak to um, angels and high net worths um, interested um, in what we're doing, as well as any people looking to collaborate and to joint ventures um, with with a platform and product like ours. Excellent. David Price, tell them that you watch this video, listen to this podcast, reach out if you like what he's building and would like to be part of that. At least um, start the conversation. David, thank you so much for joining us on Pitch Deck Asia today. Thanks so much, Graham. That was Pitch Deck Asia, powered by Pitch Media Asia. My name's Graham Brown. Pitch Deck Asia is a platform to give startups in Asia a voice. We give them a show to help them tell their story. And if you love these startup stories and like hearing more about the journeys of the founders, go and check out our SoundCloud channel, which is available at pitchdeck.asia slash SoundCloud. That's pitchdeck.asia slash SoundCloud. Head along to the channel, subscribe, follow us. And feel free to leave a comment or a rating on our channel as well. We'd love to hear your feedback.